0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis
1: and I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Today on the show we'll be reviewing the 2016 M. Night Shyamalan superhero film Split. We'll also be reviewing the 2019 superhero film M. Night Shyamalan's Glass. Man, I almost had that down, that duality in there. I, I
1: almost, almost got <laughs> Nearly that. Nearly got it. Next We're minute.
0: also going to look at the Oscars. Uh, the nominations are out. We actually delayed the show one day just so we could talk about it, because God forbid we missed that. And first, we have some news, a story I'm very excited to talk about. Ghostbusters Resurrected. Jason Rybin will direct a new film set in the original universe, set to come out summer 2020. Andy, you found this story. What do you think?
1: Uh yes, this is exciting news. Um, as as we all know, we had the attempt at a Ghostbusters reboot starting the all female cast back in twenty sixteen. There was lots of controversy behind that film. It released to kind of mediocre reviews and money, and uh, probably not going to fo- see a follow up to it. Uh, and then out of nowhere, uh, we get this news that uh, Jason Reitman is going to come back and do a sequel to the th- the. This is essentially Ghostbusters three. Following up um, in his father's footsteps, uh, Ivan Reitman, who directed, I think, was it the first one or the second one?
0: Ivan Reitman directed both of them, I think.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then we also actually got a surprise trailer announcing uh, Ghostbusters uh, a couple days after this story uh, came out.
0: Yes. Uh, just a teaser, right? A, yeah. a bumper and a flash of a proton pack or something like that and the, the, the traditional music. I'm man, I, I'm 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 a diehard Ghostbusters fan. I I, I I got a flight suit that I wear for, for Halloween and, and I, I, I love those movies. I have watched essay on review on critique. I have watched so much Ghostbusters stuff in my time and I I, I love Ghostbusters. And when twenty sixteen Ghostbusters came around, there was a lot about it that, that that really broke my heart, and it's not to say it's because I it had women in it. It's because of the controversy around it. Because this thing I love got turned into this whole freaking debacle. And I was like, man, I just like Ghostbusters. Like, what's wrong with that? You know, like, Bustin makes me feel good. (laughs) And so this certainly gets me excited. This is the son of the man who is essentially Ghostbuster number five, Ivan Reitman. He helped write the films. He directed the films. He worked very closely with Bill, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis, the men who... And Ghostbusters, like I'm, I'm very stoked on this. Jason Reitman was actually in Ghostbusters two. For that, for any of you who don't know, he was the kid who told uh, 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 Dan Aykroyd's character at the beginning of the movie that his he think his dad thinks he's full of crap, which was like a self referential joke at the He Man party. Anyway, I like Ghostbusters. Is what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> and 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 I hope this doesn't spurn controversy like tw- like the 2016 one did. But after the 2016 one, I don't see how it can't. You know what I mean?
1: Well, it depends on what kind of direction they go. And, you know, it. it we need to remember that they're all pretty old, the original Ghost, Ghostbusters. Harold Ramis is actually no longer with us. So, you know, I don't know if the story's going to focus on them. I think they're definitely going to have to bring in some new blood, and that's probably going to have to have a little bit of diversity to it. So it'll be interesting to see what we get. But, um, I, but, um, But I think this might be a better chance at a reboot than the 2016 version ended up being.
0: I'm excited. Uh, Jason Reitman's a great director. For anybody that didn't know, he made Thank You for Thank You for Smoking, uh, Up in the Air was Jason Reitman. He's done some really good work. Uh, and, and already, like that teaser. And I know this is like we've seen the movie, you're biased, whatever. The teaser looks sharp. It's a cool looking teaser. Like it, it looks neat. You know, I'm, I'm excited about it. I didn't know this was coming up with Horizon. Um, I, I hope there's not a whole lot of how to do about it. I feel like Leslie Jones made a statement that was something uh I, I I know the original cast is set to return I know people are speculating about that because Bill Murray's sketchy about it I I know it's Sony and I, I I hate Sony so I don't know what that means for this movie but I'm excited either way uh, I, I hope it'll be neat I'm, I'm excited to see the internet freak out about it it'll be great it'll be it'll be good good stuff the best you expect from film speaking of people freaking out about things in movies Britain no longer permitting rape scenes sexual violence in films, Rated for under 15-year-olds. Uh, this is a matter of rating. And over in Britain, the rating system's a little different. Andy, care to elaborate?
1: Uh, yes, it's not only in Britain, but the, the European system is, is much different. Uh, first of all, they have more categories. They're, they have more breakdowns, uh, which uh, I think is an, actually a good thing. The other thing is it's it's done by the it's a government board. It's, it's not a private uh, rating system like we have here. And the third part that's important about that is that you cannot go into a film if you're not that age, regardless of whether or not you have a parent with you, like here. Because here you can, if you're five, you can still be taken to a rated R movie if you're with a parent. But in Britain or the rest of, of Europe, you cannot. Like, you have to actually be the age. Um, like, there are laws and, like, the theaters can get in trouble. Um, and so this this was a some big news that came out uh, last week that they... Uh, decided that any, any scenes depicting sexual violence, uh, needs any film doing that would need to be given a, what's called a 15 certificate. So you would need to be at least 15 uh, to see that. Um, and so let me break down this a, l- a little bit better. So we have, you know, R, PG-13, PG, three really pretty broad categories. And in Britain, they have uh, 18 certificate, which is almost kind of like our NC-17. And then they have 15... And then 12, and they have two categories of age 12. They have 12 and 12A. And so 12A is for maybe a little bit more, I think you need an adult with you uh, to see it. So again, part of what I wanted to, I brought this story up is just to kind of break down that they have a better, what I think is a better rating system because each each category is broken down more. It's more age appropriate. And there's more, um, just more information. Like there's a difference between a 12 and a 12A. So as opposed to, we just have PG thirteen, which is, I think, entirely too broad. Yeah. Um, what do you What do you think about this story?
0: I think the rating system is is a certainly a conversation to have. Uh, really, I'm I'm a practical guy. I, I think I I wanted to know. Okay, hold on. What What's an example of a movie that could have a scene that implies or maybe depicts something like rape that would be acceptable? for 12 year olds that now has to be pushed back to 15 year olds 12 12 with an audience 12 a i'm sorry uh the, the one listed in this article is the kira knightley film the duchess which has a a, a scene that implies uh, a woman is held down by a man on her bed it's implication that can't make it through anymore i guess it's good I, I think it's probably good that that a government is listening to its people when people say hey we don't think this is okay for a film they go you know what maybe you're right That doesn't really happen with the MPAA.
1: No, we we kind of just have zero input. Yeah.
0: No, (laughs) Uh, if if people are making money off of what happens, I guess it's okay if uh, the new Avengers movie features a city full of people dying off-screen. That's fine. You know, like that's that's acceptable. PG thirteen, great. You know, or PG or whatever. Uh, So I don't know. I I guess that pleases me, but like ultimately. It doesn't mean any, I don't know if it means anything for America. So no, no, it definitely you
1: know. doesn't. It doesn't mean anything for us. But it is. It's interesting that they it changes how films will be rated over there. You know, things that were might have gotten a twelve or a twelve A will probably get a fifteen. So it just means directors will have to be a little bit more conscious of of the content and and kind of who it's who it's for. Um, and like I said, I, I think we could probably use to revamp our rating system. A lot. I mean, I don't remember when PG-13 was introduced, but I think it was probably like over 20, 30 years ago. Right. Um, and so, like I said, they have 15, 12, and 12A, and that really helps parents uh, kind of know what what's appropriate and not appropriate. And it, I think for us, if we had like something like 15 and 12, those are probably good ages to, to break down as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing Over here we have the MPAA uh, to rate movies Over there they have the British Board of Film Classification And the BBFC holds a consultation every five years Which is surveys a bunch of moviegoers, thousands of them um, And that's where they make these decisions Like, I I don't know what that would mean for America It's interesting though That might be worth like a Death of Cinema segment at some point If, if you mm-hmm. ask the general public uh, what they think of movies nowadays And if the rating system is okay, what would they say, you know? Um, I don't know. None of us do. (laughs) Nobody knows where where film is going in America. Our our last story, uh, and we'll try to keep this one brief. Uh, In honor of the Oscars, we felt it was also okay to mention, the 39th Razzie Awards are out, uh, and and we don't want to spend too much time talking about them. Real quick, though, something we discovered just before the show. Um, Has anybody ever seen... The Razzie website, razzies.com, because it is god awful. It is the worst. Like it's not. You <laughs> can't find anything. It's it's bad, man. Like there's no distinct list of what's gonna be on the awards, and like it's it's there's a bunch of clickbait ads, and like it's real poorly laid out like it's it's nasty and it looks I don't, like it's I, gonna
1: give your computer a virus
0: i'm gonna yeah it does and i'm gonna be honest like i'm, I'm not convinced this is all in the spirit of being you know the worst award no i think it's genuinely cheap and bad is what i think like i think if yeah. they could make it nice they would but they can't because uh, you know that's the razzies who cares um some interesting nods, though, for what it's worth. Uh, nominees for picture this year are Holmes and Watson, big hit. Uh, I would imagine that will probably take it. John Travolta's Gotti, Robin Hood, that movie nobody went and saw that totally bombed. Winchester, which you saw, uh, yeah, which and the is Happy Time Murders, god awful. Yeah, you did not like Winchester. You said it was pretty rough. Yeah, I like the two
1: yet. two of the worst pictures that I have seen, which is terrible.
0: Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember talking to you about it because I didn't see it. That was a split week. Uh, I forget the episode. I'm sure you can go back and find it if you're if you're listening and going. Wait, I really want to hear what Andy had to say about Winchester. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember asking you about it. And just everything you said. You're like, I don't know, man. It was bad. It was just bad. Like it was. It was like it was like watching a freaking crime scene. Like just horrible. Uh, nominees for actor include Johnny Depp, John Travolta, uh, 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 Bruce Willis, and Death Wish. Will Ferrell, Holmes, and Watson. Big fan. Donald Trump. As himself in Death of a Nation, which is a documentary, so I guess that technically counts. But like, what are we? What are we doing, <laughs> Razzies? Are we? Are we being? Is this politicized? I think because I feel like that's what this is. But I,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> you want to? You want to talk about any of these, or just in general how they're pointless? I mean, any? Any thoughts on the Razzies? Any?
1: Well, I'm like the funny thing. Just look, I'm looking at Worst Actress right now, and just you know it's bad just from the names of these films. So Amanda Seyfried in The Clapper. Most McCarthy yeah. happy, both for Happy Time Murders and Life of the Party. Helen Mirren for Winchester, Jennifer Garner for Peppermint. That sounds like a terrible film. That's a good one. Amber Amber Heard for London Fields
0: also yeah. sounds like a terrible film.
1: And I, actually, I think that was a huge, huge bomb.
0: I don't remember it. So for what it's worth, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Remakes ripoff sequels. It doesn't really matter. I. I the Razzies are one of those things, like I guess, are good for kind of a laugh, but ultimately, like, even looking at the website, I'm like, what's the? Why does anybody pay attention to these at all? You know, why do they matter? Yeah, I'm
1: surprised they get the coverage they do.
0: And like, Sandra Bullock showed up and accepted a, an award for the Razzies once, right? Like, Halle Berry got a Catwoman Razzie, like, and showed up in person to accept it. Like, there's there's something to it. Like, it's not nothing, but like, man, yeah. you wouldn't know it passing by the website. My God, it's not great. Who funds this? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, the the Razzies, completely and they, pointless.
1: <laughs> and like and if they get news coverage, how, how is their website so bad? Yeah,
0: how is it so bad if like people, you know, Hollywood Reporter will write an article about the freaking Razzies. What's the deal? I don't know. Anyway, we should move on to our first film of the evening. Uh, the film is, and I'll take the, the, the
1: what am I trying to say here?
0: Summary? Jesus. All right. Yes. I, sorry, I apologize. I think I just had a stroke. I'll take the summary uh, for this movie. The, the film is M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Hey, pardon me sir, I think you have the wrong car. So Split is a surprisingly uh, engaging topical storyline, uh, just to start. Uh, a young girl uh, is with some friends uh, when they are essentially kidnapped by a mysterious man who suffers from a serious, serious case of split personality disorder, specifically a man named Kevin, who has 23 different personalities. Uh, the girls are kidnapped, they're taken to a compound, they don't know how to get out or where they are, they have no way to call for help, and they have to try to figure out how to escape from a man who is a multiple multitude of different people. Uh, that's essentially the setup for split. Very easy. Uh, the, the the our man man Kevin is played by James McAvoy. Anya Taylor Joy plays the main girl. Uh, Casey Cook. We've got a host of other characters who I'm I'm not really familiar with as far as acting goes, but good performances regardless. We have a psychiatrist uh, that 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 sees Kevin. Andy, what did you think of Split?
1: Uh, so I really enjoyed this. i remember mean, this is the second time I've seen it. And I'm starting to think that Shyamalan is actually always better on rewatch because I definitely enjoyed it more knowing where it was going. Uh, not that I didn't enjoy it the first time, but it's it's kind of even even more enjoyable because um, uh, Shyamalan leaves a lot of uh, clues along the way as to where we're going, and so it's it's really cool when you pick up on those. Um, but I, I thought it was cool. It, it's a mixture of a little bit of a, a horror B movie. It's a thriller. Um, you know, it's just... James McAvoy is having a great time with his multiple personalities. That's a lot of fun to do. I I really wish we'd seen a little bit more of those. We only get to see like 3 or 4 uh, kind of distinct personalities, so I kind of wish we had gotten to see a lot more. Um but uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is really good in this and she's kind of on a roll uh, career-wise. Her her she has a really interesting backstory and it, it's the way it's told is really really good. Um it there it, it's not his like his best work, it's not as engaging as some of his other stuff, like, like unbreakable, but considering how bad most of his previous films have been, I thought it was a good kind of turning point in his career.
0: Yeah, I, I was impressed by this movie. I, I, I only just saw it for this show. I, I didn't see it in twenty sixteen when it came out. I remember you telling me about it and saying I should watch it and I was like, Yeah, totally then I didn't go see it because I'm not Shamlon and I'd, I'd been hurt before, uh, which I think is, is, a, is a reasonable reason for a lot of people to not go see it. Uh, and they should. Split is a lot of fun. James McAvoy has just a boatload of charisma and it shows. Like you can tell he was really enjoying getting getting into these roles. He plays eight different characters across the film. Really, only three or four are particularly relevant. The others are kind of extra. You don't even get into the other 15 off of that. Um, but you could tell he liked it, and he's clearly like the mainstay for what's happening. Anya Taylor Joy is great, um, a little awkward at times, but I don't think that's necessarily her fault. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, the psychiatrist, uh, played by a woman named I think Betty Buckley, is tremendous. I, I she's yes. really good, uh, very confident, very calming, uh, very uh, a motherly kind of role. She was great. The other girls are okay, I guess. I mean, they're. They're, they're, they're not in a lot of the movie uh, um, and, and that's all right. You know, they kind of take a backseat to, to the main plot. Um, but I, I man, I, I talked about this with, with 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like there's so much challenge in the essential, essentially single set piece drama where all your characters are locked in a room and can't leave. And this isn't quite that movie, but when you're locking characters, in, in, in a compound or holding them hostage when they can't leave. You're basically getting down to that. Like, okay, we need to be able to tell an intricate, complex story through dialogue in a very small setting. And it's so challenging. It's, it's deceptively difficult. And Shyamalan totally nails it. Like, the feeling of, of, of kind of terror and horror, is, of not knowing what's going to happen, is great in this movie. There's problems with it, and I want to get into those. We'll get to, we'll get into those towards the end, I think. But for uh-huh. now, let's talk about what works. All right, what what do you think was really really effective in this movie? Um, what 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 are the tent poles that hold this up and make it good horror and, and a lot of fun?
1: So I definitely like the mood and and setting because the, these three girls wake up in this you know they're kind of in this bunker or somewhere underground and they're being trapped, but. You're really disoriented and you're meant to feel like they are. Um, I love how he starts this film because it really just jumps right into it. There's not a lot of long exposition or setup. Like the the girls are kidnapped um, kind of right in their car, essentially, um, right at the beginning. And Shyamalan actually uses the same, I don't know if you noticed this, he used the same kind of uh, cinematography that he did at the beginning of Unbreakable, where he's kind of how he pans between. Both seats on the train in Unbreakable between uh, Bruce Willis and then the, the woman at the very beginning of the film. He does the same thing with, uh, in the car um, at the beginning of Split. So that's just kind of a nod to that film. Um, at, at knowing that, that this takes place in the world of Unbreakable, I, I see a lot of those references much more clearly now. Uh, it, it has a lot of the sim- similar themes. It has a, actually similar lines. It has a deal. The, the train is a big deal in in Split as it is in Unbreakable. Um, so I, yeah, I can kind of see those parallels. Uh, some of the writing is, is a little clunky. Um, I'm trying to think. Of, we're, sorry, we're staying on things that are po- positive. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh,
0: I know. I want to dig into that too. We'll get there.
1: It's fine. Yeah, the, just uh, mood. Uh, characters. I, I like that um, you know, it was fairly realistic. Like, you know, at the beginning like the girls kinda come up with a couple of, you know, like uh, weak schemes to try and escape and and Casey Cook um, Anya Taylor Dory's character is just like nah, no, that's that's
0: <laughs> not gonna work. That's no. <laughs> stop it. Yeah. Um yeah, I think Tone is, is the best place to start. His his cinematography, the way he shoots this movie, everything's locked down on a tripod. I don't think there's ever handheld. If there, if there is, I don't remember it. Everything is locked down and solid, and it's got this feeling of, like, really tight security, which is exactly how we're supposed to feel for our characters, and it shows. Like, when it you know, it'll lock on James McAvoy, and it'll be a shot for a minute straight of him doing something wacky, and it's, like, unsettling to watch because it's so odd, and the camera doesn't look away. It doesn't pan. It's just like, nope, here's exactly what we're looking at. Here's exactly what we're dealing with. Like, this is immediate. This is now, and it helps us connect to our characters with that. I, I think it's dark, it's very dark, a lot of shadows, a lot of like, you know, one light bulb swinging in a dark room kind of situations. Ultimately, the payoff is not quite as satisfying as I had hoped, and I think a big part of that is because, well, I don't know, this was rated R. I really expected it to get pretty dark, and like, it never really quite gets there, which was a bummer. Right. Uh, I, I I guess I wanted more that way. I, I this movie is definitely hurt by any knowledge of what happens yes. or the universe it's set in. It, it is really PG, hurts
1: it. It is PG thirteen
0: just for those. Is it really? It is. All right, that explains so much.
1: I, well, I, I I agree because I think it, I think if it were R and it could lean a little bit heavier into the horror aspect of it, I think it would be a little bit more effective.
0: Yeah, like, you could have gotten... Man, you could have really gone dark with it. And, like, you don't. And, and I wonder if that was because, well, this is a story I want to tell, or if it's, I need this to kind of appeal to PG-13 audiences, or I need this to tie into a bigger story. Um, right. Which now we understand. And, and that, that again, that hurt it. Like, watching this going in, knowing, hey, this is part of a bigger story, uh, There's there's a sequel to this, like, really hurts your experience. The less you know going in, the better. And unfortunately... If you're listening to this show, you already know. Uh, just like everybody else, um, yeah. At this point, there's more knows. to it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a shame. Like I, I split does so well standing on its own. Um, I don't know, and that that's that's a bummer. Yeah, um, that's probably a good place to transition into the writing. Right, okay, go for it, please.
1: Um, so most of it is pretty good. Again, James McAvoy is, is really incredible and he, he has a lot of good dialogue and his, his character Hedwig is probably the most fun where he plays a nine-year-old because that, that involves not only dialogue, but just a, a lot of mannerisms and, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, so some of the writing is a little, it's a little on the nose. It's a little clunky. Um, a lot of the flashback stuff is, is done really well, but, um, uh, I don't know. That's about all I have to say about the writing. What about you,
0: man? I was really disappointed with two things in this film: uh, the writing, uh, specifically the dialogue. Because like the the plot is great. The plot is great. Like I I love it. It's it's so simple, you know. It, and it's there's elements in this that are uh, Hitchcockian, especially like again this this simple plot, but also like ele- elements of cinematography that come right out of Hitchcock. I think the film opens with a like a Vertigo like zoom all that crash zoom pan right. or whatever it's called. Um, it, it opens with a, a, a Hitchcock shot. It, it opens with Hitchcock style opening credits. Uh, it's very inspired by that, like a simple plot. And the plot is great. Uh, a guy with split personalities kidnaps four girls. Great. Like, I love that. And and, and the personalities fight over what's good and what's bad. And these girls are, are, are trying to get out the whole time. I love it. Great. But ultimately, like the dialogue suffers not necessarily James McAvoy's, because I, I genuinely think he either had a lot, I, I think he had a lot of creative control with it. I think he yeah. can look at the script and go, no, 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 uh, uh, M. Night, uh, whatever, I don't know, Shanelon, Uh, this is how this personality would say this, and M. Knight would go, oh, yeah, you're right, totally, let's do that. Like, I think he had a lot of clout with that, because a yeah. lot of the stuff in there just feels very particular to the character. Whereas the other characters, like Anya Taylor-Joy, when she's telling these other girls, hey, no, this isn't gonna work, it's not super convincing. I'm like, these girls should be, flipping out dude like tears and like banging on walls and they're pretty chill and like i have trouble believing that's how that would go you know like i i I feel like they would be real panicked and so it's not only the writing but also the character directing the way he directs his actors and actresses on what to do is often just not great like, it's deliver they'll, they'll <laughs> right. a line, and I'm like, that's not how somebody says something like that. This has always been a problem with Shyamalan. And what's frustrating is, it's been so long since I've seen a quality Shyamalan film, that I can look at so much of this, and, like, it looks so sharp, and it's shot so great, and the plot is awesome. It's, like, it's all so good, and the way he shoots this movie, and the tone of it, and the setting is brilliant. But, like, the man cannot write dialogue to save his life. Like, he, needs to, he needs to do it. I, seriously, he needs to do what Yorgos Lanthimos did, right? He's got a style. Find another writer. Find, find a writer who can write a movie for you and direct that, and I promise you'll, you'll have a hit, because the guy can direct a movie. He just can't direct an actor. Yeah. stunning. Um,
1: I, by the way, I would like to mention that he's credited as Jai slash Hooters lover in this oh, movie. Oh, right, okay.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, he is in this movie, of course. Uh, yeah, that that, that is an... And it's like it's a, it's a shame because when I was a kid I didn't know any better, you know? I was just sure, Oh, sure. There's, there's just some other actor. Now as soon as he shows up, I'm immediately taken out of the world of the film like, "Okay, I'm not Shyamalan. Like, what is that? <laughs> what are you doing to me? Am night? Like, what am I what am I supposed to remember that I'm sitting in a theater? Like, why aren't you, you know, why aren't you immersing me in this in the story you've crafted? Um mm-hmm. got well, I that mean,
1: right. Tarantino likes to do the same thing, so. And um, and it's the same problem to be fair. So, I <laughs> okay, guess you're right. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, and again, coming off of, you know, you are new. You saw Split, which is probably his best work. To then this, you know, he he raised he sets the bar himself. He set it very high twenty years ago, and you know, people expect you to be able to do that every time, or at least get close to it.
0: I mean, it's yeah, it's good stuff. Like you think of you know, scenes from like from It's been there the whole time, by the way. You think of scenes from the movie like The Sixth Sense, right? Like good quality scares and tension. Like, and a lot of that comes back in this movie tension that you can just cut with a knife you know like it's it's so deep but like when it comes down to characters interacting with each other which is the basis for any film that's where it feels weak and it's like you can't those are the bones you know it's got to work there like if it works any anywhere like everything else is set dressing and like that's where it falls apart that's where it's its weakest and like Mm -hmm. it 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 shows Uh, and, and that's really a bummer and I guess that's that's split for me a movie that works on so many levels but somehow fails at its most crucial points right right um, I, I, w-
1: I wonder how you, how you would feel on a, on a second viewing knowing where it goes if that would
0: honestly it, yeah in, I, I prove it I think I, I think I might appreciate it more because in a way it's it's like sipping a wine with a real bitter aftertaste it's it's a lot of fun and it's good but like ultimately the problems are glaring but you're right if I, if I revisit a second time I think I can appreciate those things I like more and I can overlook the things I didn't like. Right. I think that'll help a lot. And also, again, uh, I can't go back to not knowing what happens, but I feel like if you don't know where it's going, it helps a lot. Like, it really helps yeah. a lot if it, you don't know what's going to happen.
1: Because eventually, like I said, there's a lot of similar themes and dialogue. And, it, it you know, Unbreakable deals with this, uh, you know, are we capable of more than – are humans capable of more than than we think? Or at least are some of us capable of more? And when those themes creep up again in this – since you know they're related it's not as you're like oh this is kind of the same
0: yeah and like having seen the trailer for for glass which explains <laughs> yeah. this thing called the beast and and you know like I mean straight the first the first teaser trailer explained that so when I'm watching this movie and they're like he's coming for you and the girl's like who i'm like the beast right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: you like you, the yeah beast. you just
0: completely yeah. like lose that it's a i mean it's 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 not necessarily that this movie has like a big twist that like oh my god if you know that then it's pointless. But like in a very Shyamalan way, if you know where things are going, it's not nearly as fun. And like that that gives his movies like a a fleeting uh, brilliance. You know, it's it's great the first time, and then after that, it's 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 harder. But maybe you're right. Maybe I won't feel that way. I I probably spent enough time rambling about Split. Um, um, any other any final thoughts for recommendations?
1: Uh, you know, even the first time I saw it. The payoff is still not that exciting. Even not knowing any of that, who the beast is or or what he can and can't do, even knowing, not knowing that, as was the first time I saw it, it, it still wasn't like a huge payoff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Andy, uh, would you recommend Split? Um, I
1: would. There are there's enough good things about it. McAvoy's um, performance, uh, Anya Taylor Joy is you know brilliant as always that there are some like serious subjects or threat thread themes touched on mental health uh, abuse uh, these sorts of things it does have its problems but overall i i really enjo- enjoyed it and i i i would recommend it i'm a fan of it
0: yeah uh despite the railing I just gave it yeah I would recommend it too actually there's a, there's a lot in this movie that again works really well the tension is good McAvoy is great the look of it is fantastic the feeling of like confined space and claustrophobia is good Anya Taylor joy is great like I, I the, the the personalities are a lot of fun and the way they bounce off each other is interesting and kind of keeps you hooked like I I enjoyed a lot about this movie a lot. And I, I would recommend it to anybody, especially if you're an M. Night fan, totally. If you have not seen this movie and you're like M. Night Shyamalan, you're, you're doing it all wrong. you got to go see what Split's about. So yeah, Split, not that bad, ultimately. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I didn't think it was too shabby. So, uh, our what would normally be our Death of Cinema segment? We're talking about something particularly exciting. Andy, you want to uh, do the honors?
1: Oscar nominations. Uh, so the Oscar nominations came out early this morning. There are some surprises, some things we expected, some snubs. Um, so we're, we're going to get into that. We're going to go kind of category by category, talk about uh, what we like, what we don't like, and uh, some surprises. Uh, so I'm going to kick it off with uh, Best Picture. Uh, now, to remind everyone, they can nominate as many as 10 for Best Picture. However, it's usually like only 8 or 9. It's rare that they do all 10 Um, Because it's based on the percentage of voting or something. Anyways, the Best Picture nominees are Black Klansman, Black Panther, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Green Book, Roma, A Star is Born, and Vice. Uh, Zach, what do you think of those noms?
0: I think more of your top 10 list is on there than mine, and I don't know what that means exactly. Uh, I'm pleased. Obviously, there's always going to be people down this whole list. There's going to be people every year that say, this got snubbed, this didn't happen. I I was really pleased to see the favorite on there. In fact, a lot of people have said uh, Yorgos Lanthimos totally worked out for him because there's a lot of noms for the favorite in here, which is great. Yeah. Ultimately, like I guess that I mean that's kind of the list we expected to see, right? I don't I don't know what's not on there that I was like, oh my god, how could that not be on Best Picture? Like, yeah, that's that sounds about right to me.
1: Yeah, the, there's things that we, I I felt that were really good that were had no chance, you know, things like uh, Disobedience, uh, You Were Never Really Here, Suspiria, um, a couple more <laughs> that I'm uh, blanking on right now, but uh, this list I feel like half this list is very good and half of it is not um black clansman was excellent i think black panther is an important movie some people are not happy that this is the you know a comic book movie that's on here i think that that's fine i have problems with bohemian rhapsody because i think that that's a very mediocre film along with green book and i haven't seen vice yet but vice i didn't go see it because it, it had really mediocre reviews so something that has really mediocre reviews i don't think should be on this list
0: yeah are we i guess we shouldn't be calling shots here right Now's no, not, not the time not to yet. say it. Not yet. Okay. All right. All right. We'll wait. We'll, we'll do an episode when we do that. I think that'll be fun. Uh, best Director, uh, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma, Yogos Lanthimos for The Favorite, Spike Lee, Black Klansman, Adam McKay, Vice, and Powell Polakowski for Cold War. I saw an ad for Cold War, and I thought, wow, that looks hokey. It's probably awesome. And then I never saw it, but I'm not surprised to see it's making this list. Spike Lee is now officially an Academy Award-nominated director. Shocking that hasn't happened yet. Yes. Uh, the big snub here, I think the one people are saying, how could Bradley Cooper not be on this for Star is Born? How yeah, is that possible?
1: Yeah, I mean, because the Star is Born grabbed uh, several other nominations uh, that we'll get into later. Um, and it, and it's, a, it's an excellent film, and I think it's a much better film than something like Bohemian Rhapsody or Green Book. Um, and I think it definitely uh, deserves. Uh, to, he he deserves to be on on here. I think so. It's it's strange that he's not. And I haven't seen Cold War. I've heard really good things, but it's just. I mean, I have no idea what it's about.
0: I like I said, I saw a trailer for it, so I know that's not enough to judge. And I haven't seen Vice, um, but I know it's controversial in in an odd way. Man, I I don't want to say it makes sense that The Star Is Born is on here because I know a lot of people be upset with that. But like. Looking at Best Picture, like you said, there's some things on there that I'm like, eh, won't win, but it's cool they throw him a, threw him a nomination. For Best Director, that's a pretty tight list. Like, that's, those are, that's, those are some filmmakers, man. Like, yeah. Those I, are some I, incredible I, films. Uh, I do have a I mean, problem. Really incredible stuff.
1: I have a problem with if, like, Powell, Powell sorry,
0: um, Polakowski. Paul, Paul He's Paul Peace Polish. It's, yes. uh, yeah.
1: Um, that's Cold War is nowhere in the best picture area. I, I, I always think if you are nominated for best director, your movie should probably be in the best picture category, but maybe that's just uh, me. Right. Um,
0: this has the opposite problem.
1: Yeah, moving on to uh, Best Actress, we have a surprise, uh, Yalitza Aparicio uh, for Roma. She was the main uh, character. Glenn Glenn Close for The Wife. Olivia Colman for The Favorite. That's not a surprise. Lady Gaga uh, for A Star is Born. So this is her first uh, Oscar nomination, and it's for Best Actress. That's a pretty big deal. And Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me, the film where she plays a uh, plagiarist or a fraud uh, writer. Uh, What do you think about
0: these? i like them i like them a lot there's a couple on there that i'm a little skeptical about only because like i i don't want to say a mark of a good actor or actress is is well no i, I do this is how i feel to me any any time whoever wins best actor or actress the one that i feel like is going to win is is the one who is the most transformative role not that they're like christian bale and they put on a fat suit or put on a bunch of weight or whatever but like a person who's in a role that like when i'm watching them i genuinely forget this is who I'm watching. The best example I can always think of, because I think it's the year he won, was Leonardo DiCaprio. No, he didn't win for this. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street. At right. some point, watching that movie, like in in the Martin Scorsese hustle and bustle of '80s drugs and partying, uh, I, I I forgot that I was watching Leonardo DiCaprio. I was like, this is who who he claims to be on screen. Like when when a, when an actor or actress can lose me in that, I think that's when you've truly reached a level that like. You're incredible. And when it comes to newcomers, not to say they're not incredible, I haven't seen enough of their work to really know. You know, this was your first one. I'm like, you could have been basically playing yourself for all I know. Like, I don't, I don't know the breadth of what's capable and what you're doing. And that doesn't make that independent independent performance any worse. I guess I'd just like to see more before I'm like, throw them best actor or throw in best actress. Like, I, I'm always skeptical when I see somebody's first big role on there. Again, yeah, I mean, not to say they're y- bad, just that's how I feel when I look at this.
1: Yeah, I mean, Yelitsa Aparicio is... She was a teacher before being in Roma. She had, like, no acting experience or, like, she was not in anything. This is literally her first film, um, and I think she is probably largely playing herself. And I th- do think she was very good, but, but, you know, I think for her being nominated is the big deal. My... Uh, i think the favorite here is the favorite which is olivia coleman i think that um she's probably uh, the heavy favorite in that category
0: yeah and and, and olivia coleman hadn't done much either before i get too far in the weeds on this Uh, uh lady gaga was was fantastic i mean they're all great there's a reason they're on this list um i don't i don't know if anybody else in the academy feels the same way i do so i guess we'll see you know, just like always, we'll see. Best Actor. Uh, Christian Bale in Vice, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, and Viggo Mortensen in Green Book. Andy, hot takes on Best Actor.
1: Uh, you know, Christian Bale gets it for, <laughs> for uh, wearing a fat suit. Uh, well, Put non-weight, right? I mean, that yeah. was... Yeah, yeah Br- Bradley Cooper definitely deserves it for uh, A Star is Born. R- Rami, I do think, I will concede that Rami Malek is very good in Bohemian Rhapsody... Um, I don't. I don't think Viggo Mortensen should be on. Green Book is a really problematic film to begin with, and I, I don't think it should be anywhere near any of these awards. Um, so I'm, I was surprised to see him on there, and I, I do think that um, uh, Ethan Hawke for First Reformed could have been in there. Uh, maybe a couple of other roles I'm not
0: thinking of right now. What do you think? Yeah, I'm surprised to not see First Reformed now that you mentioned. I didn't see the movie, but I remember the buzz around it. Um. I, I don't, man, I, Rami Malek was the second best part of Bohemian Rhapsody, and that's second to the music. Uh, right. The guy was great. He holds down that whole movie. Like he, He's better than that movie deserves. Um, he's good stuff, and I haven't seen uh, two of these movies. Uh, Bradley Cooper I liked a lot. Uh, Viggo Mortensen, yeah, he doesn't he need to be on that list. I, and I, <laughs> I like Viggo Mortensen. Let me, let me be clear, but like, eh, you know, eh. Uh, I would skip Best Actress in a Supporting Role. And Best Actor in a Supporting Role. I'd move right down this list, but I do want to mention Best Actress, uh, at least you're welcome to mention Best Actor if you like, because two of these are from the same movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> which is a surprise. Uh, Amy Adams in Vice, uh, Marina de Tavira in Roma. I'm, I don't know who that is in Roma. I, th- but...
1: I think I think it's the uh, doctor's wife.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. I was going to say probably the, the mother. Regina King, if Beale Street could talk, and then Emma Stone for the favorite, and Rachel Vice for the favorite. Uh, yes. Yeah. I loved the favorite. That was my second favorite film of the year. And and I remember watching this and thinking, oh my God, like this movie is going to scoop Oscars. Like, this is great. And I'm glad to see that it is. I'm nothing but surprised to see both of them competing for the same role for the same movie called The Favorite. Like, that's really. Yeah. It says a lot about the movie. It says a lot about the actresses. It says a lot that the three main actresses are all nominated for Oscars. That's tremendous. Like,.
1: Yeah. yeah, if you have to pick one of the Emma Stone or Rachel Vice for this award, who are who's, who is who oh, who is your favorite?
0: I think it's got to be Vice. Like I, I and Emma Stone is great in this. They're both brilliant, but like Vice, she just had like a confidence to her that was just so like charismatic. Like she did not nothing fazed this woman at all ever. Like she was yeah. never scared of anything once. You know, like. Uh, Emma Stone has a vulnerability and an innocence to her, and she changes over the course of the film. But like, I loved the way Rachel Vice just does not take any shit ever. Like, I could, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. get over it. Like, oh my god, um, I wish I could be like her every day when I woke up. She's great. What do you think out of those? Out of those two,
1: yeah, that, Rachel Vice is my, my pick as well. Yeah, uh, for that. Uh, let's go ahead and skip over best best actor. I want to stop briefly on best costume design because uh, this is one of a couple of nominations for the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> only a couple believe it or not yeah um and, and again this is it's a big deal because you no know, both Roma and uh Buster Scruggs are Netflix films so Netflix is really pushing to have a presence at the Oscars and again they're still in in a stupid way fighting for legitimacy and validation uh within the the film industry and I think this is definitely their uh year to do it uh-huh. uh huh well, uh what's the next category uh you want to look at
0: Oh, I, sorry, I thought you wanted to talk about, uh, I guess you just did just talk about him. Sorry, I was, I was, I was looking down the list, I'm going to be honest. I, I wanted to talk about, where is it? Hold on a second. Best visual effects, which I know is minor, but hear me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, Solo, A Star Wars Story. I tweeted about this this morning, and I'm excited to rattle this tweet off. Nobody liked it, but uh, <laughs> damn it, this, this is our show, and I'm, I'm going to do it. Uh, You show me a man who doesn't appreciate good cinema and I will show you the academy who decided Solo, a Star Wars story, deserves a visual effects nomination over Mandy. Because how dare you, sir? And I know Mandy is like its own weird thing, but like, dude, come on. Like that movie was like watching a freaking acid trip. Solo (laughs) was like watching a movie in the dark. Like I couldn't even see anything because the lighting sucked so bad. And they throw Solo a nom and like Mandy gets a snub. Come on, they melted a dude's face into a woman's <laughs> face and back again in one long take multiple times. and it's convincing. Like there's incredible stuff. And like, no, no, he, Mandy's not on here once. And like yeah. if it's not gonna make it for a uh, uh, score, which it should have, but that's a whole other beast, like at least throw him a freaking visual effects nod, you know, but like I, I, it's 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 a hyper violent, and there's a lot of has a lot of crazy things in that movie. I don't know if that drove them away or if they just didn't care. Yeah. I don't know. I, I well, was just, I was bummed, I guess. Well,
1: right. Well, speaking of score, I did want to touch on a best original score. Uh, we have Black Panther, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Suck, which I haven't seen, Isle of Dogs, and Mary Poppins Returns. Isle of Dogs should absolutely not be on here. I cannot remember <laughs> a single thing from that movie. And I'm, again, Mandy, which was disqualifies that. But um, I immediately think of things like Suspiria. Or, um, oh, now it's leaving me. Annihilation. Annihilation had an incredible score. Now, I do, I will admit, the reason Annihilation got no push because all of Netflix's campaign is going behind Roma. Um, But, again, I'm disappointed in the original score category. There were much more memorable things. Uh, I I did think Mary Poppins was very good and and does deserve to be on here.
0: Real Um, quick, Uh, you did mention costume design, right? Did you talk about that for a second with, with Netflix? I,
1: just brief, briefly, I mentioned the, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs was on there. I didn't go through the whole category. There was something I wanted to mention in costume design,
0: real quick, before we get away from it. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Black Panther, The Favorite, Mary Poppins Returns, Mary Queen of Scots. The Favorite and Mary Poppins Returns had the same costume designer, and she's nominated twice. Oh, That's wow. wild. Yeah. I I would not have guessed that. Both of them have incredible costumes. So good good luck, Sandy Powell. I think you might have my vote for one of those movies. Um, <laughs> hopefully the favorite, but we'll see.
1: Um, um also, uh, best documentary feature. Uh, there's there's no um the, the Mister Rogers documentary is no. Oh God, no! Here. You're
0: right. <laughs> I didn't notice that.
1: Damn. Yep, you're right. No, no Mister Rogers documentary. That's so a shame. that that feels like us, uh a snub uh, for sure. And I, 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 I've I, heard good things about Free Solo. I've heard that that's pretty good. Art, and I've heard RBG. I don't know anything about uh, the rest of them.
0: Did we mention best animated feature?
1: No we, we, no. we can talk about
0: that next. Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs, Mirai, Ralph Breaks the Internet, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you had asked me three months ago which one of those was going to win... Best best Picture, uh, or Best Animated Feature, I probably would have said uh, Incredibles 2, and it should be Isle of Dogs, but it'll be Incredibles 2. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Well, I,
1: yeah, Man. I was, I was going to say
0: Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Right. Well, that's what I mean. The, if you'd asked me three months ago before I saw Spider-Man, I would have said Incredibles 2, Isle of Dogs would probably take it. I don't know if I can live in a world where Spider-Man does not win Best Animated Feature. It is stunning. It is stunning. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it really is, stunning. is like that movie is incredible um, so yeah I don't know I, that's that's all I really have to say about it uh, I had one more thing I wanted to mention do you have an, another category are you ready to, ready to yeah, I do.
1: On? I do want to uh, touch on the adapted screenplay and original song before
0: we leave I, I wanted to get original songs so you talk about adapted screenplay please
1: okay, okay so this is the other place that uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs uh, shows up so it's I and I didn't realize it was a real book <laughs> um or or based on on a book something so uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is nominated along with Stars Born, Black Klansman, If Beale Street Could Talk, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? Uh, again, I'm really excited that that Ballad of Buster Scruggs uh, got got some nominations because Netflix wasn't really pushing that film very much. Yeah, uh, it, and then real quickly uh, on original screenplay that we do see first performed there, uh, written by Paul Trader.
0: Oh yeah, there it is, you're right. Also the favorite over an original screenplay. I'm surprised to see Can You Ever Forgive Me getting the play it's getting. Uh, I remember when I first saw the trailer for that movie and I was like, huh, that's hilarious. Uh, Here we are. Like, it's a couple nominations. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, best actress. Like, that's worth something. You know, uh, maybe I should take a look at that movie. Lastly, best original song. Uh, all the Stars, Black Panther uh, by Kendrick Lamar. I'll Fight for RBG, the Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which you watched recently, actually, right? No, no you I saw, saw the, on the Basis, uh, on the basis of, sex. of Sex. I thought you saw RBG, excuse me, performed by Jennifer Hudson. The Place Where Lost Things Go, Mary Poppins Returns by Emily Blunt. Shallow, The Star is Born, uh, written by Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. And When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for His Wings, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by Tim Blake Nelson and Willie Watson. Andy, yeah. does Shallow not win? Right.
1: It's definitely the the heavy favorite. It's been a huge. It was like the anthem of that song, and it's uh, you know it's sold a million mil- millions of copies. Uh, my place for that, you know, I think that the song from Mary Poppins, uh, the place where the lost lost things go, is a better song, and I think that does actually deserves to win. It's it's better written. It has better lyrics. I mean, because the the chorus of Shallow is just saying like, Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la-lo. Like it, it, it's, 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 it's a good tune, but not a good not good lyrics. Um, and I do have a soft spot for When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings. Um, I think to just being nominated is, is special for. And there's a couple of other good songs from Ballad of Buster Scruggs. My, you, yeah, like I, said, but like I said, the Mary Poppins song I think is better. Go ahead.
0: I think, yeah, you're, I mean, you, you, you know music. Surprisingly, more than most people on this podcast might think you do. You're a music man. I, I think you're right. Um, I think Shallow's still going to win. Uh, sure. <laughs> it, I mean, it was, it was one of the most downloaded songs of the year. Like, it's insane, the play that song got. Like, it was Lady Gaga. It was big. It was coming out with this movie. There's an emotional trailer attached to it. There's an emotional film attached to it. Like, big deal. I, I-, I think that's going to take it. That's, I guess that's not a shame. Um, I guess, if anything, I'm ready to leave that song behind me. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I guess that is what it is. And that's the Oscars of 2019. We will talk about uh, our picks. At some point, we got to do a, a short list for, like, the hot picks, who we think is going to win what. That will take just as long to talk about. So apologies <laughs> yeah. if this was a very clumsy segment. we got a little bit of time left, though. We should talk about our last film. Andy, please take it away.
1: We're talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Glass.
0: Maybe this will all make sense if I explain who I am. My name is Dr. Ellie Staple, and I'm a psychiatrist. My work concerns a particular type of delusion of grandeur. It's a growing field. I specialize in those individuals who believe they are superheroes.
1: So this is the third film, which is being uh, dubbed the East Rail Trilogy. It is a follow-up to both Unbreakable and Glass. Um, it takes place ni- no, 19 years after un- the events of Unbreakable. Uh, at the beginning of the film, we meet David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis. Uh, he has since uh, opened a home security store, and uh, he kind of patrols the streets as uh, the overseer, which is he's being called. And, you know, he, he is has some superhuman abilities. He is super strong. He can kind of touch someone and know what kind of bad things they've been into. Um, his son played by Spencer treat Clark, uh, kind of man's the, the command center and, you know, talks to him through earpiece. Um, so that's kind of what he's been up to for the last 20 years. Um, and, but th- this movie is not just about him. It's also follow up to split, um, sort of t- to avoid some clumsy exposition, uh, we find ourselves in a mental institution where both uh, James McAvoy has been captured, David Dunn, the overseer, and Mr. Glass, uh, played by Samuel L. Jackson, Elijah Price. And uh, they are confronted by a, a psychiatrist or a doctor, played by Sarah Paulson, um, who is, is eventually tells them that they are delusional, that uh, she specializes in treating people that think that they are comic book heroes or that they have superhuman abilities. And, uh, she essentially explains away everything that they think is special about them. Um, and, and basically she has to try to convince them that they're just normal people or they're going to kind of be stuck inside this, uh, asylum, uh, forever or, or until they <laughs> kind of give up the idea that they're superheroes. And again, we, we so we reteam, we have Bruce Willis, we have, uh, again, James McAvoy, and we get a lot more of his personalities. We get Mr. Glass, we have Andrew Taylor Joy. Um, so th- that's our, our setup. Uh, Zach, what'd you
0: think? Man, I liked a lot about this movie. Just like Split, I think it's got some issues, but ultimately like I, I think it was a lot of fun. There's a lot in this movie that works. Uh, I-, I do have a hot take about it towards the end here. No spoilers, of course. Um, But first I want to talk about what I think works in the movie. Uh, Andy, what did you think of of Glass?
1: Um, So actually I'm still kind of (laughs) mulling it over there. I agree that there are things that I think work really well. There are some good – there are some great scenes. There are some great monologues and and dialogue. And then there's also some really clumsy scenes and really clumsy writing and some – there's way too much exposition and just characters talking and literally explaining what's about to happen – Um, I, 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 again, like I said, with Split, I think Shyamalan is better on second viewing. So I think I would actually enjoy this more after knowing, uh, where it goes. Um, but I, I think I was a little disappointed, but it's growing on me and I, and I'm, it's starting, I'm starting to look at it more fondly the farther away I get from it.
0: Okay, so let's, there's got to be a place to start this. Let's start uh, at the beginning. I think a very good place to start. This, of course, follows Split, but more closely follows the story of David Dunn uh, picking up from Unbreakable 21 years ago. Definitely a haul. How does this movie pick up those pieces and do you feel like it transitions, like, evenly? Does it feel like, okay, this makes sense for where these characters would be? Do they feel out of place? Um, do the characters in this movie feel like the characters from the other movie? Have they changed? Have they grown? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's a pretty amazing transition, especially because uh, I read that they, they use some unused footage from Unbreakable to kind of do some flashbacks. And so you see, you know, the Bruce Willis from 20 years ago, you see the child version of Spencer Tree Clark's uh, character, uh, which is. I think those are really cool touches. And it makes a lot of sense narratively that this is kind of where it would be. At the same time, that's a lot of time. And I kind of wish we we dug in a little bit more into what David Dunn has been up to for the last 20 years. I feel yeah. like there's a film missing in between here.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is funny because apparently, like I talked about in the last episode... Back in the day, when Unbreakable came out, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson, and Mary Shimon all said it was a trilogy. They all said this is the first in a series of three. So supposedly, this is the way it was always supposed to go, according to them. This was the way, I mean, it's obviously a little bit longer over time. I don't think they meant for this to be three films over 22 years or whatever. I think it was meant to be three films over like five, but regardless, I think the way the pieces have picked up works great, just like with Split, the characters I don't feel like have adapted great to the world that's adapted around them. There, there were specifically a couple characters I, I I really had trouble getting in line with. Uh, in Split, I felt like it was really easy to connect to Anya Taylor-Joy's character because through some uh, uh, eccentric filmmaking, let me say that, uh, we get a look into her backstory and who she is and why she is the way she is, and it makes sense. And there's a satisfying like arc of that character. In this movie, I didn't get what she was doing like at all. I was like, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing. I don't understand what you think is a good idea here. What your motivations are. I don't understand how you changed over the course of, of Split and this movie. Like what happened. Um, but you're different. You know, you're not you're not the same character I was able to connect with before. Not yeah. all the characters were like that, but a few of them were. And like in a lot of cases, that was just offsetting enough that when whenever they were on screen, like it just distracted and it was hard, it was difficult for me to to. to Understand where they were coming from. Do you feel that way at all, or am I crazy?
1: Yeah, uh, one of the things that I think works so well in Unbreakable is just the relationship between the characters, because that's essentially a family drama. It's about a a a failing marriage, uh, a struggle between a father and son to trust and connect each other, and you know that is really the core of that story. The, The supernatural stuff is cool, but it doesn't work without those those close relationships and i feel like this film is really lacking that we just we're assumed that we already know everyone and we're that we're really familiar and so we we miss out on that those real personal touches that that makes the other two films uh, a little bit deeper
0: Mm -hmm. i i did like the way the world was put together just like split like i like i like this world that unbreakable is in it's not quite reality of course but like it, it's such a clever spin on the superhero universe. Like, it almost could be. Like, it genuinely raises questions and concerns about how these characters are perceiving themselves and what their superpowers, essentially, and whether or not this is reality. And, and and the psychiatrist who poses all these questions, played brilliantly by Sarah Paulson, is fantastic. Like, the way they present this stuff. Uh, uh, Shamlon's got that tone down again, That the world just feels very grounded in reality. It's a little bit more handheld, especially when the movie starts to pick up towards the end with what is essentially a climax. You do finally... Can't talk about that. That's a spoiler. Never mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I loved the way Sarah Paulson's character questions these other characters. She does this great thing that felt very Hannibal Lecter-esque. She hardly blinks. Hardly ever. In fact, very similar to uh, uh, Samuel Jackson's performance in Glass. Hardly ever blinks. And, and, and the way she's shot and the contrast in the, in the picture just makes her eyes look very just deep and dark. And so when she doesn't blink and she's got a very pale face and red hair and red lips and just dark eyes, like it's just kind of this haunting image of somebody questioning who these characters are and what they think about the world around them. And it's really, really hypnotic. Like I couldn't look away uh, in the scenes when she's talking to them. Like it's really good stuff. And these characters who are flawed, having to face those fears, um, really, really yeah, cool.
1: Yeah, I really wish that the trailers had kind of focused more on this about because that's really the heart of the story is that she is trying to convince them that they are not special people. And I wish the trailers had focused on that and not on basically the action uh, scenes. Because that's, like, you probably don't remember the trailers for for Unbreakable, but they were super mysterious, and they had all this glass floating around, and they were like, you know, what if you you never got hurt? What if you never, like, they pointed towards the central premise, and I felt like the trailers and the advertising for this didn't really do any of that. And that's actually really interesting. I I think what her character is trying to do to try to say, like, no, you're not special. Like, this is why you can do these things. It's perfectly explainable. I, I think that that's a really cool angle.
0: Yeah. I I was impressed. I mean, I think you're right. Let me, let me before I talk about what I was impressed by. Like Shyamalan said, he was like, this is not the movie the trailer is making it look like. Like, don't think of it that way. He's kind of right. Like, there, there, there's still a fair bit of action and tension that no matter what's happening, you're waiting for things to go a certain way. Maybe the trailer gives that away. Like, maybe that's where things go wrong. But yeah, just like how Split was... This, like, Hitchcockian drama of, you know, a, a guy with multiple personalities kidnapping four girls. And how are they going to get out? And then it turns out it's a bigger thing. I kind of wish this movie had done the same thing. And it doesn't. It takes a while to get to the stuff where, okay, now they're questioning who they are and whether or not the reality is what they think. They could have done the whole movie that way. Just like, yeah. just like how Anya Taylor-Joy and her friends are held captive in Split. These characters could have been held captive by the psychiatrist. And I I get that would have been too close to Split, and that would would have been weird, but, like, you could have made the whole movie just that and almost tried to convince the audience of that. And you kind of do, but we've all seen the trailer, and we know, we kind of know where it goes. So, like, it I don't know. It's one of those issues of, like, just, like, the Split. If you know what's happening or you know what's going to happen, it deflates everything. Like, it's it's really a challenging thing to nail down, and I think the movie suffers for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and... You know, one of the things I said about Unbreakable is that it has a lot of really brilliant, what I call comic book moments. The the part when you're reading where you turn a, you know, it's a page turn and something really cool happens on the other side and kind of you know blows your hair back. Um, I felt like we're kind of missing that in this film. We don't get uh, kind of any of these nice surprises that are like whoa or these things that build up to something really exciting. We do get we do get some cool moments, but they're not like super super satisfying like. Like he's done in the past,
0: yeah. And and like again, the, the different thing in this movie, the thing I really noticed was the long takes, um, which are worth mentioning. Not only Sarah Paulson in these long takes where she's you know just very quiet and, and like a very a very, like a menacing kind of tone to what's happening. This undertone uh, that's really brought to the forefront by that. There's a great scene in here where James McAvoy as as his nine year old counterpart Hedwig skates like two or three circles around these girls in a room the whole time delivering dialogue and talking and acting (laughs) and then comes to a stop. And this camera, the cinematography is great. The camera's locked down on a tripod and it's following him around the room. And then right as he comes to a stop, the camera just hard stops and it kind of pans back with him and it follows him for another like 30 seconds. And it's like just great stuff. Mm -hmm. Great stuff. You can have a, you can have a camera guy watch him and keep him in focus for all of this and an actor can act through all of that and then come to a hard stop to freeze the tension and and, and like really pull it taut in the scene and what's going to happen next and then just keep that going like great filmmaking genuinely great filmmaking but like the way it's all put together ultimately i i was talking about I don't know, Andy. Get me out of this. Like help, help, help me out here.
1: So another kind of difference uh, from the other films is, you know, Unbreakable is so grounded in reality. Like that's the whole thing. It's it looks at if you were superhuman or if you were enhanced or you could if you were stronger than everyone else, what would that? Look like what would that what would actual Powers mean in in the real world and It's it's, again it's very grounded And I feel like this movie loses a lot of that We don't have a lot of that Real grounded in in reality Kind of things and and questioning Um, It it reminds Me it it reminds me of Zack Snyder Uh, These three films if you look At it you get a really good strong start Kind of okay beginning and A little unsatisfying and And a little bit Yeah. Um, One thing I, I did I want to talk about uh, just like the these themes this idea that you know uh Dr. Ellie Staple uh the Sarah Paulson's character the, this idea of explaining away the extraordinary um because I th- I think that that's a, a parallel to to real life how a lot of times it's easy for people to um kind of just explain away extraordinary things that other people accomplish you know uh, or give excuses as to why they are why they are that way or not that way. And so, you know, I think the film really challenges you to, to kind of look at the things that make you special or the things that you are good at and really, um, kind of cherish those and, and realize what those things are.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like, I, oh, sorry, I, I, they, I don't know. I they, guess it's save, it, <laughs> save it for recommendations. I, I don't want to say I don't have much more to say about this movie. The, the music is good. The acting was really good. I was really pleased with the way, uh, uh, um, um, Oh God David Dunn played by and Bruce, Bruce Willis. Willis that's it I was thinking Bill something I don't know why I was going with that uh, and and Samuel Jackson like they both picked up their roles really well I didn't feel like they were too different from who they were uh, Bruce Willis's son reprising his role in this movie was a surprise and he was great I feel like a lot of people didn't notice that and ultimately I loved the way uh, the old footage was brought back in that felt really good um, and really helped you kind of get into the film it didn't feel like it, it was it was unique in the age of watching CGI uh actors made young again like seeing okay no this is actually just footage like of, of, yeah. of stuff we haven't seen before that was really neat um i, I andy anything else before we move on to re- recommendations well, I, think, I think i'm ready to punch out on this one
1: well like i was talking about like the, the themes and the, there are there are good moments there are some parts that we're moving and, and one of them and th- this is what i've seen in the this is from the trailer so it's not a spoiler but you know um w- where Mr. Glass is, is talking to someone and he says, you know, there are those of us who, who don't die from bullets. There are those of us who can still bend steel. Like it, it's a very well-deserved, uh, it's delivered really well. It's a great line. And he has a couple of, of really good monologues. And so like this, but that's juxtaposed with some really clunky dialogue some, sometimes. Um, anyways, though, I, I think we are ready to move on to recommendations.
0: Uh I, am I first, or should you... Should you I go?
1: I'll, I'll go. go for um, it. I would recommend this if you're if you're a fan of M. Night Shyamalan, if you've seen the other two films, if you're a comic book hero fan, I, I I would definitely rec- recommend it. I do think you have to get on board with the premise. I think that's why it's had some really bad reviews. Like You really have to just kind of go with it. If you, th- you kind of stop and think about it a little bit too long, I th- think you won't enjoy it, and I think you definitely have to have seen the other two films. If not, you pretty much will be lost.
0: Yeah, I, I i would recommend it to a point. If you liked Unbreakable and you like Split, I would say this is worth your time. If you haven't seen either and you don't know what you're getting into, probably skip it. It's a well-made movie. Just like Split, there's so many things in it that work, but ultimately, unlike Split, I, this movie reminds me of one of those big, one of those like photo collage paintings, or photo collage paintings, photo collages where you take a bunch of little photos and then when you zoom out, all those photos clumped together with like different colors look like one big photo, and like it's like if every every little photo was great, like the actors and 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 the like even the dialogue's pretty good, and the cinematography and the tone and the setting and the music and the the color and and and, and the plot. If all of that worked great, and you put them all together and you zoom out, and it's just like a big crappy photo like that's what it felt like like somehow at the end of that it's not that satisfying and like maybe I'll revisit it and I'll feel totally different cuz there's a lot in this movie that works but ultimately somehow I walked away just a little just a little dissatisfied and like there's for getting so much right it's a shame you shouldn't feel great when you leave the theater yeah. I just didn't feel that way so yeah, that's. I, I agree yeah I I I saw them quite deciphered how but one day I'll figure it out damn it and that's glass um it's the end of the unbreakable trilogy for now seems hard to believe is it yeah it, it seems hard to believe in the middle of the superhero like craze that m. night Shyamalan has stumbled onto this brilliant formula that nobody else is doing and he's like I'm going to move on to other things. I mean, that's what he said in interviews. He's like, nope, I'm, I've got other stories to tell. I'm like, well, you're insane. Like, I, I would, if anything, hand this off to, like, some other director and keep doing yeah. your thing and keep making bank off the Unbreakable universe because there's totally potential for that, you know? I,
1: I would have loved to have seen uh, a film with, you know, uh, David Dunn's character, you know, 10 years in, him having, re- you know, kind of like the Dark Knight movie, the movie where you're already an established hero and you're, you know, taking on a new new challenge. I, I think that that's really missing from this series
0: yeah it's 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 tough man like i I think there's so much potential for what he's doing unfortunately just like with sixth sense when everybody's like oh you gotta look for the twist i feel like every Shyamalan movie i see from now on at some point i'm gonna be like wait wait wait, is this in the unbreakable universe because (laughs) this is like yeah 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 another one like because he said he's not doing it anymore but maybe like i don't know They it was split like i i don't know what to expect i think there's such potential and, and and it didn't quite get where i wanted it to I don't know if the reviews are valid because I was getting like a forty or something. Like I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's legit. But like, man, there's a lot in this this that worked. Shyamalan is not a bad director. I think he's a bad writer. That's what I think. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, and with that, that just about wraps our show for the week. Uh, we're gonna be taking a couple weeks off coming up. Believe it or not, it's January. I've got a vacation thing. There's nothing good coming out. What better time yeah. to not do the <laughs> show? Uh, But we are going to return with The Lego Movie 2. Very excited to talk about that. Hopefully it's not terrible. After seeing the first one, I can't imagine it is, but we've been surprised before. We'll also talk about something else, and that'll be a surprise when we get there. So, expect a show in a couple of weeks. Otherwise... Uh, thanks for listening, I guess. If you liked what we had to say, if you thought it was dumb, if you thought Glass was totally worth your time, you thought Split was terrible, if you have any Oscar thoughts or news thoughts or otherwise, let us know at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're around, and we're <laughs> happy to talk. And if you can swing it, leave a rating or review too. We'd appreciate that. How, how about how about that, a rating or review? Hmm? Maybe both? I don't know. That's but right. check out our website at off-script-film- at off-script- offscriptfilmreview.com. Good God. I'm falling apart here, Andy. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for listening.